You know, it never ceases to amaze me how much energy these guys have. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, I want to give you a couple of announcements that are very important. Next week, December 16th and the 23rd, we will only have one service, and that will be at 1030. And if you miss next Sunday, you're going to miss the treat of Buddy Green. We always enjoy having him here. And on the 16th and 23rd, we'll be having communion uh, at both of those services. Now, on the 24th, the Christmas Eve service will be at 2.30 and 5 o'clock. And there will not be communion uh, at that, those uh, Christmas Eve services because we don't want the visitors to feel pressure to participate in the Lord's Supper. And so we want to let you know those announcements. So don't forget, next week, 16th and the 23rd, will be one service, and that will be at 10.30. Now, let me ask you a question before we start the morning worship service. How many of you have your Christmas shopping done? Oh, man. May God have mercy on our sin-sick, shriveled-up souls. Yes. Well, we're glad that you're with us this morning. There is a small town in south-central Kansas called Arlington, Kansas, grand population of 475 people. Four miles outside of that small town is a place called the Seago Cemetery, and that is where my grandparents are buried. And every Memorial Day, our family would go with many of the other families, and my brother and my sister and I would walk around and look at the headstones on many of the graves, since many of them were from the late 1800s. And one of them said this, Remember me as you pass by, for as you are, so once was I. As I am now, so soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. And though we know that death is inevitable, it amazes me and and continually amazes me to find out how many people are not properly prepared. They have failed to heed the words of Solomon when he said in Ecclesiastes 12, 1, what? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come when you will have no pleasure in them. But when that concept of remember now is just not giving mental assent as, oh yeah, okay, fine, I'll remember that. It's not just a mental reflection of, oh yeah, that's important. But I love what Derek Kidner says in his book on Ecclesiastes. He says, to remember him is no perfunctory or purely mental act. It is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and to commit ourselves to him. And continually on in that chapter of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 2 to 8, Solomon just tells us, don't, don't waste your time on vain things as he begins to describe the aging process that happens to all of us. And he says, why? Because life is fleeting. And he comes to verse 9 and to the end and he says two very, very important truths. And that is to fear God and keep his commandments, and to live life with a godly perspective. And he sums that up in chapter 12. 
We come today to 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it is the overall reflection that David is giving about his life. We see those concepts of fear God and keep his commandments. Did he keep them perfectly? No, no one does. But I do believe that David lived life with a godly perspective. And so when you come to this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 22, you're going to see two concepts that are going to be painted out on this mental picture. One is David's deliverance by God, and the other one is David's delight in God. David's deliverance by God and David's delight in God. And as those two things begin to show on the canvas of his life, he's going to show that and paint that picture from the past to the present and to the future. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that passage. It's a long passage. We're not going to read every verse. But you're going to look and see that progression. And it starts off with his past predicaments, verses 1 to 20. David had perils in his life. And they were challenges to his faith. And there's not a one of us in this room that have not had challenges to our faith. 2 Samuel 21 says there were famine for three years, year after year after year. 2 Samuel 21 says they were at war with the Philistines again. But I think the greatest challenge to David's predicaments that he faced in David's faith was 2 Samuel chapter 18, and that was the death of Absalom, his son. When challenges come to our faith, just like David, we are going to make a choice. We will either view this challenge as an opportunity to see God's blessing in the future or become bitter. We will make the opportunity to either doubt God's goodness or deny God's goodness. You see, questioning God's goodness is not wrong. You see that in David's life many times he was questioning. But there was never a choice to deliberately deny and reject and turn against the Lord. Some of you here have gone through that situation where you've had to bury your child. Hard. Very hard. What was your response? Well, Lord, I I believe you, but it's like that passage that says in the New Testament. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We all go through periods of doubt. But do we have we ever come to the point of denial? Mm-hmm. Lord, we know that you're good. We know that you love me. We know that you have a purpose and a plan in my life. But in those dark times, Lord, I don't see that. Well, David had those dark times. But it was interesting, in spite of the predicament that he was in, God's provisions were always there to meet his need. And in those provisions, it, just, it was just amazing as I was studying this passage because there's four provisions that are there. They are always available. And you see that in the little word is. 
the Lord is. Wasn't was, or maybe he will be, but is. It's always available. Verse 4, he says, there when, I, when that need arises, I, I, I'm saved. God meets me at the point of my need. Never exhausted. Never exhausted. I sat there and went through the whole passage, and there was violence that David faced. There were waves of death, verse 5. There were torrents of destruction, verse 5. There was distress, verse 7. There was calamity in verse 9, 19. But God's provisions were never exhausted. Why? Because the descriptions he gives is, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. Ten descriptions. Only the Lord God himself can fit all of those descriptions, right? Over and over again, the Lord God showed David his capability and his character to meet with David in the time of his predicaments. He will do the same for us today. There is no predicament in our lives that God is not capable of meeting. There's a third thing about God's provisions. They were always available. They were never exhausted. And this one I really love, verse 7. They were never dismissed. I called upon the Lord. I cried. Actually, that's a better translator. It would be, I yelled. I yelled to the Lord. And he heard. It says, it came into his ears. It's the concept of Psalm 41 and uh, Psalm 116, 2, where it says, and the Lord inclined his ear. It means he bent down to listen intently. Ah, that's good. When we yell, our Lord bends down his ear intently to hear what our situation is. Never too busy, never too busy to hear the cries of his children. He gives absolute, undivided attention. Wow. There's another thing. It is always addressed. Every person, young or old, every day, there's not a situation that is ignored. Every moment, every day, every week, every month, every year, every generation. It's not like the Lord is saying, uh-huh, I got it. No, it's not like, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, you, you called out to me before. No, he responds. And in verses 8 to 19, he acts on behalf of his children. He acted on behalf of David and when he was in times of need. He will act for us in our times of need because he acts with power. 
In verses 8 to 19, it says that our God is jealous for his children. You know, that word jealousy, we always think of it as a bad term, but it's not necessarily always bad. Because the concept of jealousy is vigilant in guarding something or someone of value. You're protecting them. In fact, nine times in the Old Testament, the jealousy of God is stated or inferred. God loves his children. He doesn't abandon them in their time of need. Literally, it means he moves heaven and earth on their behalf. You know why he can do that? Because he's the creator of heaven and earth. He cares for his children. Lord over all of his creation. The power of our Lord. But he also responds because he has a purpose. And that purpose is to demonstrate to us. Because he wants to show us how much he delights in us. Isn't that amazing? God delights in us. God delights in us, his children. All our foibles, all of our failures, all of our idiosyncrasies, when we call, he answers with power and a purpose because he delights in us. God delights in us as his father to his children. Mm. Past predicaments. No matter the peril, God's provisions were always more than adequate. But now he moves. He moves from past predicaments to present pursuits. In verses 21 to 49. Now notice I said pursuits. I didn't say perfection. We all know David's foibles. We all know of his sins. But you know the interesting thing as I was thinking about it. You know a common trait that Moses and David and the Apostle Paul all had? They were all murderers. But God forgave. And the Apostle Paul says, forgetting what was behind and pressing forward, I press on toward the mark of what God wants me to be in Christ Jesus. That's powerful forgiveness. That's what our Lord does for us. In that present pursuit, We're putting our energy, our time, our commitment to accomplish the goal. We'd say in modern language, David would say, I'm all in. I'm all in. Do we have that intensity in our heart and desire to be all in? Time, effort, energy, commitment to continually, continually be pursuing what God wants us to be. It's a challenge. When you think back of this past year, have you moved forward in your progression to greater godliness than where you were last year, last month, last week? Are you moving forward? You see, David's pursuit was that he wanted to fulfill his responsibility. I'm amazed how many people in our society are focused on their rights 
rather than fulfilling their responsibilities. It's what's in it for me? David's responsibility was, no, I want to live honorably to the Lord God. And he says, I want to live righteously. That's his first responsibility. Verses 21 to 22, I want to be the person that God wants me to be. I remember uh, I received a phone call from a lady one time, and uh, she was going through... uh, an unbiblical divorce, and uh, she said, well, uh, Stan, the psychiatrist, wants me to be happy. Don't you want to be, me to be happy? I said, no, I want you to be holy. That was a short conversation. Click, you know. Why? Because as holy people for God, we are to be set apart. We are to be distinct. We are to be living a lifestyle that is honoring to God in every aspect of our life. One man told me years ago, he said, here's a simple test to see how well you're doing in that aspect of being a distinctive Christian. If somebody asked you to do something that you felt would be morally unconscionable and you would feel that it would violate your conscience, what would your response be? If you would say, well, no, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ what would their response be? Oh, oh, I I didn't know. I'm sorry, you just talk and act like all the rest of us. Boy, that's condemning, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Living righteously. You see, my friends, the Lord will be involved with us, either blessing us or chastening us. Chastisements depend on how we are living righteously. Are we living a sinful life of defying God's standards, denying His Holy Spirit's conviction, damaging our testimony, destroying that distinctiveness of who we are in Christ? And yet we'll say, Lord, please bless me and and all these blessings, Lord, I want them to be mine. How can they be when we're not living righteously? But you see, you'll never live righteously unless you're living obediently. And that's what he says in verses 22 to 25. Well, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. Oh, really? You see, moral freedom is not the privilege to do what we want. It is the power to do what we ought. It is the power to make that choice that says, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm I'm going to resist that temptation. I'm going to obey God's word. I'm going to be in fellowship with other Christians. I'm going to be praising God. I'm going to be making those choices that are pleasing to God. That's moral freedom. You see, obedience is willing submission. Slavery is forced submission. It's interesting that Paul uses the term doulos when he talks about slavery in the New Testament. But it's the concept that his life was totally into the concept of living out his life to fulfill the desires of the master, his Lord Jesus Christ. That's the concept of what a doulos did. They lived their life to be pleasing to their master and do whatever their master asked them to do. 
That's living obediently. There's a wonderful doctrine in the New Testament called the doctrine of concurrence. It is the concept that the Lord God works as I work or I work as the Lord God works. We work in conjunction with each other. And I can remember when I grew up in in our home, I grew up in a very passive Christian environment. It was kind of like, okay, Lord, hit me. I'm ready. Lord, I'm here. Lord, hello. And I never understood that there's things that I needed to be doing. That I had a responsibility and that God would take care of doing his part, certainly. But as you come to verses 26 to 32 in this chapter, he says you need to live responsibly. You not only need to live righteously and live obediently, you need to live responsibly. You have responsibilities as a believer. And one of the first ones of those that are to be faithful. You do what you say you're going to be doing. Consistent, dependable, trustworthy. When you come to Psalm 15, it says one of those things that marks of a success is a person that swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. If it's inconvenient, you still carry it out. Well, it's, 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 well, I don't particularly, I don't feel like, I don't, no, you're faithful. You do it because you gave your word that you would do it. He says in verse 26 that we're to be blameless. Whoa, nobody's blameless. No, but the concept is, can somebody point the finger in your life and say, you, that's the concept of blameless. There's no glaring error of responsibility or personality fault because of what you have done. It's the concept of integrity between who I am and what I do. Verse 27, he talks about pure. It's the concept of not tarnished. It's, it's, it's was used of polishing arrows so that they would be bright and shiny. He comes back here in another part of the verse and says that we are to be humble, not haughty, mindful of our own weaknesses. That's how we're to live responsibly, faithful, blameless, pure, humble. Well, when we live like that, God will do some incredible things on his behalf. On our behalf. Because in verses 29 to 32, you see God's part. He says he's going to be like a lamp. He's going to lighten, brighten our way. He's going to give us direction. He said he'll strengthen you. He'll guard you. I, I love this concept, guarding, because there's an offensive part to it, and there's a defensive part to it. He said that his word is going to be flawless. What? It means that we can move forward because we can have a faultless guide to move us in the right direction. That word faultless means to be in accord with truth and fact. God's word is not going to lead us into error because it's true. It says in Psalms 12, it says, God, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined, purified seven times. And just like as moving forward, he's going to guide us with his word. 
In the defensive part, he's a shield to protect our backside. It would be like the Lord saying, I got your back. He's going to protect us. Wow. What a wonderful God we have. We will do our part living righteously, obediently, according to his word, living responsibly by being pure, holy, faithful, blameless, humble, and God will give us that direction and he will also protect us. Well, that was this present pursuit was to fulfill his responsibility. But also there's another thing that David continually did, and that was this. He was focused on his relationship with the living God. Because in verses 33 to 49, 29 times there is the discourse between I, me, thou, thy, thine. Is also against his enemies. Focus on his relationship against his enemies. Why? Because there are 15 situations that are mentioned here. And every time God intervened and gave victory. Focused on his relationship to the Lord. And in situations where it seemed to be impossible, God took care of his man David. But he gave credit to the Lord, not his self-sufficiency. Not a, well, I can take care of this situation. I can handle this. I don't need the Lord's help. This is no big deal. Oh, really? Every time that, every time that David tried to live on his own self-sufficiency, what happened? He got clobbered. Every time that we try to live by our own self-sufficiency, well, I don't need the Lord's help in this. This is no big deal. What happens? We get clobbered as well, right? So David says in his past predicaments, God helped him. In his present pursuits, God is helping him. And then in verses 50 and 51, he talks about a future priority. Made many mistakes, but there was a focus That was in his life. And that was this. I'm going to be continually praising God for who he is. He's my deliverer. In every circumstance of life when my heart is focused on him and my mind is according to his word, he is going to deliver me. The way we see, not necessarily. But we can look back and say, oh, the Lord had a bigger plan, a better plan. But it's interesting also, not only he's praising God for who he is, but what he does. And it's the word um, loving kindness. I don't know that we've got a word exactly in the English language because the word hesed means so many things. Love, mercy, graciousness, faithfulness. All those wonderful characteristics that we think of God could, um, in his relationship to us, could often be under that big umbrella of loving kindness. The loving kindness of God. Hmm. How powerful. 
So let me ask you a question. David was called a man after God's own heart. So if we want to be called a man after God's own heart, I think there's four qualities in David's life that we need to have in ours. The first one is this. He took his relationship with God personally. You read the psalm, oh man, grappled with personal issues, grappled with things in his life. He worships God personally. He pleads with, God's personal, with God personally. It's not like he's borrowing somebody else's solutions. This is his relationship with God. The second thing is this. He took the reality of his sin personally. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, he admits his guilt. He feels the weight of his sin, but he also feels the wonderful freedom of forgiveness. The third thing, he took responsibility for serving personally. There's an interesting passage in Acts 13, 36. After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. Wow, what a great statement. After he had served the purpose of God. The fourth thing is he took his reverence to God personally. Truly worshipped, unrestrained. And it's seen so beautifully in 1 Chronicles 29, 11 to 13. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Thine, O Lord, is the minion. And thou exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee. And thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise your glorious name. So the question comes about to us as we conclude. The dash between the dates what will be said? What will be said about our life? The question is, how will we be described to others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we have learned about David. Powerful things. Personal things. Some good Many good, some bad, many bad. But Lord Jesus, I pray that what we have learned, may we apply. So that would truly be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant. That it could truly be said of us, this person, heart, was after the Lord God. He was a person. She was a person after God's own heart. Hmm. What a powerful, powerful statement.
may it be said of us. Lord, it's in your name we pray.